Welcome to Philosophy and Faith, where our goal is to help you navigate your intellectual and spiritual journey, especially in regards to topics like God, faith and doubt, meaning and purpose, and more. I'm Nathan Beasley. And I'm Daniel Jepson. And together we discuss the big questions that humans have wrestled with for thousands of years. We're glad you can join us. We're back in another episode of Philosophy and Faith. And last episode, we were talking about the four great worldviews and how they would view the, the questions of knowledge in the category epistemology. And Daniel, you brought up something saying that it's possible that an objection can be made against materialism and naturalism, that uh, it is self-defeating. Yeah, I think a good argument could be made that way. Wow. So we're going to explore that and dive quite a bit more deeply into that <laughs> today. But as we get started, I just want to ask you, okay, so why are we having this discussion? What's the goal of today's episode? It's good to remind ourselves of the goal of what we're trying to do in the podcast. We are not trying to add to the noise and argument. We're not trying to prove other people are wrong. Our goal is rather to make the case that theism is at least as intellectually satisfying and coherent as any other worldview, including naturalism. And therefore, a person is intellectually justified in choosing that if they desire to. We're just trying to free up a person to make that choice without feeling like they're leaving their brains at the door. Yeah, too often you hear that faith is blind or that kind of thing. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Yeah, we're going to do this one today, asking the question, is naturalism self-defeating? And then we'll have two more episodes on the four worldviews dealing with eschatology or history, where is hit history headed, and then also aesthetics, what is beautiful, in light of those four worldviews. So two more on the worldviews. And then I think we'll have one or two dealing with the idea of certainty and faith and doubt. Some people think that you have to have certainty to have faith, and I think that's very mistaken. So we'll talk about that. Great. So in this episode, you're talking about whether or not naturalism is self-defeating. Will you talk about what it means? What, what is self-defeating? What does that mean? Yeah, very similar to just saying that it's self-contradictory. But in terms of analyzing arguments, self-defeating is a little bit more precise. What it means is that you are making a claim which by its nature undermines the foundation for making that claim. Let me give you an example. I was teaching intro to philosophy class, and we came to the part about truth, and we were just kind of beginning the discussion, and one student volunteered and says, well, I don't believe there is truth. I don't believe you can know the truth. There is no absolute truth. And I said, oh, so you believe there is no truth that you can know? Yes. I said, okay, Bill, I think that was his name. Do you mean that as a true statement? And I was amazed because you could see the light bulb going off in his head. And his eyes kind of got bigger and he stepped back and thought about it. I never thought about that. <laughs> and I was surprised. Yeah. Because that objection to that claim that there is no absolute truth undermines the concept of truth goes at least back to Socrates. So, wow, to use that against the skeptics. So I thought it was going to be pretty obvious that that was a self-defeating statement to say that there is no truth. Is making a truth claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've just undermined the ability to make truth claims. Wow. So that's a self-defeating statement. So what we're arguing here about naturalism is that to make the statement that naturalism is true is a self-defeating statement because it undermines your ability to make that true statement and to know it's true. 
Will you walk us through it? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So naturalism is basically the worldview that says there is no God or gods. This material world is all that there is, or this natural world. And however you want to define the, call it the cosmos, you can call it the universe, you can just use a more generic term, world or reality. However you want to define that, what you're doing is you're excluding a supernatural element to it. Okay. That's at the heart of yeah. naturalism. So naturalism is making the claim the natural world is the only reality. So who are who are some of the naturalistic thinkers? Well, there's all kinds of them. So Darwin would be one of them. Darwin would be a yes and no. Okay. So he actually claimed to have a belief in God who organized and supervised evolution. It's unclear to me and maybe some other people whether he meant that or if he was just trying to stave off the trouble of being an atheist in late 1800s England. Okay. Um, but certainly most of the people we would call evolutionary biologists or the new atheists, Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens, Steven Pinker, those would embrace the label of naturalism. Okay. What's interesting here, though, is that naturalism is almost assumed in some academic fields. They're going to operate on naturalistic assumptions, even if no one says, I'm a naturalist. They're going to, by principle, exclude anything but naturalistic explanations for whatever data they're dealing with. Like which academic areas or fields? Biology, anthropology, but also, I think you would say that chemistry or physics, perhaps medicine. So if you're asking the question, you're looking for naturalistic answers. Now, methodologically, in my opinion, that is exactly what you should do. But there's also a drift then from a methodological naturalism to a philosophical naturalism where more and more people just kind of assume then that there is no God, that the natural world is the all there is. So you're saying that that's how it should be methodologically because you don't want to bank on the supernatural intervening? Yes, and you can't measure it. Yeah, okay. So yeah, when you're doing science, you operate on principles of cause and effect as established by the scientific method. But there's a drift from that to the philosophical position of naturalism that I think goes unnoticed. Gotcha. So anyway, that is naturalism. So naturalism making the claim the natural world is all that there is. This argument is that naturalism is self-defeating because it undermines the ability to make truth claims, including the claim naturalism is true. Okay. Go on and, and unpack that a little bit for us. All right. So if we're going to make this into syllogism, it would, it would look like this. For the statement, quote, naturalism is true, quote, to be accepted as true, one has to be able to know the tree. Second premise, if naturalism is true, one cannot know the truth. And then conclusion, therefore, naturalism cannot be known as true. That would be the basic argument there. Can you say that one more time? The basic form of the argument in a syllogism form, so you got premise, premise, conclusion, would look something like this. For naturalism to be known as true, we must be able to make valid judgments about the truth, about metaphysical questions. And then the premise two is? Premise two is, if naturalism is true, however, it undermines our ability to make valid truth claims about metaphysical ideas, okay. including naturalism, because naturalism is certainly a metaphysical claim. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're making as big of a claim as you can about human knowledge. And the third, then, naturalism is self-defeating and cannot be known as true. Okay. So let, let's dive into this here. 
You know who is the surprising originator of this argument? Um, You'll be surprised. I will be surprised? You will be surprised. Jesus. <laughs> no, no. Standard answer, but not in this case. <laughs> it may have arisen before, but this particular argument takes its potency. Plato. No. Takes its potency <laughs> from the theory of evolution. And the first one who raised the objection that if naturalism is true, then we cannot know the truth was Charles Darwin himself. Really? Okay. Yeah. Let me quote him here. This is from a, a letter dated July 3rd, 1881, quoted in the autobiography of Charles Darwin in Selected Letters. He once said, The horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust the conviction of a monkey's mind if there were any convictions in such a mind? Now, where I don't know that he followed through on that is this idea, that if that's true and all knowledge is therefore suspect, that would include his own theory of evolution. Mm. So this is recognizing that on the naturalistic premises, you have one mechanism for humans developing the way that we are and therefore thinking the things that we think right now. If we are a theist, we have two options. We can believe in spontaneous creation, that God created humanity pretty much its present form in the relatively recent past. But we can also believe that God oversaw the development of an evolutionary process through many, many millions of years to create mankind as he is now. Philosophically, a theist can believe either one of those is true. But in either one of those, we can say, yeah, we can know truth because it was given to us by God, not we can't know truth because the, the process was just for the purpose of reproduction, not for the purpose of knowing truth. Right. Unless truth gave us some sort of okay. competitive advantage. Yeah. You're going to head me a little bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. On either of these viewpoints, whether it took six days or it took 60 million years, what's important philosophically for this point, especially in the area of epistemology, is this. It was guided by a rational being for a rational purpose, and that includes making mankind in his own image, including rational ability that works like his does. So that is consistent with that premises, whichever mechanism you choose. But if you reject that, if you believe that the natural world is all that there is or ever has been, that there is nothing outside the universe that caused it to come into being, or that created mankind in any shape or form, or guided humanity's evolution towards a certain place. That it all happened by natural processes alone. Well, that's a horse of a different color. Mm. Because if you think through this now. If it's true, the natural selection alone, and we should probably define this, this is just the idea that certain traits are naturally selected to increase in a proportion in the next generation only because it gave them evolutionary, increased evolutionary fitness, usually defined as they were able to give more resources. All right. So natural selection means it's naturally selected on that basis alone. That's the only reason that any species is the way it is, including us. Every species is formed by that alone, including humanity, including homo sapiens. And that includes every organ in your body, including your brain. Now, if that's true, then it's also necessarily true that our brains are formed by natural selection alone, unguided natural selection. 
that's where the problem comes in. Because then you realize that your brain and therefore your thoughts, which arise out of your brain, are formed not to find truth for evolutionary fitness, to be useful for reproductive fitness in different kinds of environments. That's not the same as being able to say that your mind is formed to find truth. So when you think through that, all of a sudden then you have a problem stating that the human mind is able to form true statements, especially about anything beyond immediate sense experience, including the statement that the natural world is all that there is. So that's the argument in a nutshell. So how do you know that evolutionary fitness and finding truth are mutually exclusive? I mean, can they both be true? Yeah, so the question is, how do you know that they are mutually exclusive? The answer is you don't know that, but you don't know the converse either. On naturalism's premises, you cannot know evolutionary fitness and truth are the same thing, or that mind developed of one will also be able to find the other. So the argument you're making is one that naturalists will obviously tend to make. Mm-hmm. But the assumption and the premise of that argument is this. If useful, then true. If it's useful for producing evolutionary fitness, if it's useful for propagating more genes of that of the species who think that particular way, then it's true. And when you think about it as, okay, that's a premise, but that's a premise that has not been established or proven at all. It's an assumption made to say of a theory. Hmm. It's not been proven. In fact, one can easily think of counterexamples. Many ideas that may make a person more successful at passing on genes are maybe quite false, or at least not proven to be true. The denial of a personal God who places restrictions on human sexual activity is just one of those. So that certainly would not be chosen naturally, because if anything, the opposite would be chosen naturally. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying that if we're just a byproduct of natural selection, that it's unlikely that a worldview with a God that places sexual restrictions on people, it, it's, it's unlikely that, that would ever even emerge. Probably, but that's not the main point of my argument. The main point, again, is naturalism has to make the unproven assumption that what is useful is what is true. Okay. And because it's not proven, because it's not even really readily apparent, I think you have to conclude that the second premise is true. The naturalism undermines the notion of regarding our brains as being able to find abstract. But can't you just say that it doesn't matter that we have to find absolute truth? I mean, does that matter? Well, it matters if you're trying to develop a worldview that's coherent, that the parts don't contradict each other. Okay. I see. So if I'm arguing for a worldview, but the premise of that worldview undermines the ability to argue for it, that's a very deep intellectual problem with that worldview. Yeah. Okay. Which is what we're talking about here. Right. I'm just kind of learning all this for the first time and trying to wrap my mind around it. So obviously we are not saying that most naturalists do not believe in absolute truth. I would not begin to know how to quantify how many of them we're not. We're just saying that on the premises of naturalism, it becomes difficult to make truth claims about naturalism. I see. I see. So not saying naturalists aren't reasonable or logical or anything like that. Just that if you're, if you're looking from a logical perspective, this is an objection to pay attention to. Yeah, because if true, it's, it's a fatal. Gotcha. You can't hold a worldview that has a self-contradiction at its very heart. Yeah, un- unless you're okay with not having internal coherence. Right. But to me, I don't know how you could be intellectually okay with that. 
Yeah. But I'm just curious because I feel like at the heart of Christianity is Trinitarian God and also the two natures of Jesus, which are at least paradoxical, not necessarily contradictory, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a paradox that can be worked out there, but that's not the same as having a fundamental contradiction in the ability to make the claim about the heart of the belief system. The only analogy would be that someone could argue that to make the statement that there is a God undermine the ability to make that statement as a true statement. So it's not the same thing. Oh, no, no. Just an interesting point there. Sure. Yeah, there's a difference between a paradox and an inherent self-contradiction at the very basis of its, of a world peace metaphysics. So anyway, let me read you a quote here by Steven Pinker. Uh, do you know Steven Pinker? Who's that? He's an evolutionary biologist, and he was at Harvard for most of his career. I don't know if he's still there or not. Anyway, he was very influential, very smart man, and he wrote a very large book called How the Mind Works. And he's writing this from an evolutionary biologist's perspective and as a committed atheist. Okay. So he was a naturalist. Uh, and he gets to the chapter after explaining so many things about how he thinks the mind developed this way, uh, according to the laws of natural selection alone, where he begins talking about some of the questions we talked about, free will, meaning, morality, sentience. And basically, on all these, he, he gives some half-hearted explanations of how they might have developed, but even he sees that these, he doesn't really have an answer for these. Hmm. So at the end of it, he comes and he says on page 516, we are organisms, not angels, and our minds are organs, not pipelines to the truth. Our minds evolved by natural selection to solve problems that were life and death matters to our ancestors, not to commune with correctness or to answer any question we are capable of asking. Let me read that again. Quote, we are organisms, not angels. And our minds are organs, not pipelines to the truth. Our minds evolved by natural selection to solve problems that were life and death matters to our ancestors, not to commune with correctness or to answer any question we are capable of making. But but he means that as a true statement. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like your student. I mean, he's, he's right. Isn't he saying the same thing? He is. Now, I think he would qualify that, that on other questions, he was able to give a, a true answer. But, but his summary is, is interesting. He's like, we're, we aren't designed. Well, I don't think he'd use that word, but we, we are here in order to make truth statements. Exactly. And about the wow. most important issues, especially, he says, we have no reason to believe that we can commune with correctness or answer any question we we're able to ask. Wow. We, our minds are not pipelines to the truth. So basically, his words are qualified, but the, the attitude is dismissive of the human mind's ability to find truth, especially about anything of importance like we're just talking about, especially about something like the statement that nature is all that there is. Wow. He's a heavy hitter. This isn't an offhand remark he just made in a question and answer session, right? This is the published writing of a leading Darwinian atheist, and he just came to recognize it's hard to escape the logic of the statement, that if natural selection is true, we have a truth problem. Wow. And, well, I, I don't know if it's at the end. It's at least 500 pages into his, his big Four work. Four-fifths of the way in, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Let me read you one more quote. This is by A.N. Wilson, who was a brilliant man 
he was a critic of theism and an atheist for most of his years. But Is he still alive? I don't know. Okay. In April 2009, in an article in Mail Online, he wrote this. Quote, Our bishops and theologians, frightened as they have been by the pounding of secularist guns, need the kind of bravery like Sir Thomas's More, uh, Sir Thomas More's more than ever now. Sadly, they have all been accepted that only stupid people actually believe in Christianity and that the few intelligent people left in the churches are there only for the music or believe it at all in some symbolic or contorted way, which when examined turns out to not be belief after all. As a matter of fact, he says, I am sure the opposite is the case and that materialistic atheism is not merely an arid creed, but totally irrational. Materialistic atheism says that we are just a collection of chemical. It has no answers whatever to the question of how we should be able to capable of love or heroism or poetry if we are simply animated pieces of meat. So what's he, what's he saying? Basically is that we need people who believe and have the courage to act on those convictions. But the worldview of atheistic materialism that he has embraced most of his life can't get there because we're just basically animated pieces of meat. We're, we're the result of chemical processes that had no no rationality attached to them at all. That's that's all we are. So he's an atheist who at least sees the value of religion in society. I don't know if he was an atheist when he wrote that. He was most of his way. Okay. I that's so interesting. that quote. And I was surprised because I knew Ian Wilson. He was a pretty harsh critic of like C.S. Lewis and many of his theistic arguments. Wow. Uh, that's kind of how I knew him. So I was surprised when I read that. So the view that's consistent is make decisions and we hold beliefs based on how they help us related to our evolutionary fitness. And so because that's the goal, the goal is not to find truth. The goal is to reproduce and because of that, we're really in no position to make absolute statements re- related to really any of these philosophical questions. Exactly. But especially in the relation to epistemology, it's self-defeating. Yes. That's so That's so fascinating and very thought-provoking because if we want to give answers to some of these questions, then we got to think through, okay, is my mind actually capable of giving some thoughts and suggestions on these kinds of topics? Right. Naturalism is a worldview. It's a philosophy. It's not something you have immediate experience about, like the color of your shirt. It is making a statement about the ultimate nature of reality. It's a metaphysical question, and yet at its heart, it undermines the ability to make metaphysical statements at all. That's the heart of what I'm arguing. Wow. If listeners want to go into more depth, they can look at the arguments by Alvin Flantica, who is a professional philosopher. I'm not a professional philosopher. I'm just a dabbler. Uh, but he has developed this argument and written at least one book, maybe two. I think the second one, he responds to people who argue against him and push back. So there's some good literature about this. This isn't just my idea. Cool. We'll drop that title in the show notes and maybe put some links or something there. Sure. Again, Darwin recognized as soon as he developed and thought through the theory of evolution that it had a challenge at its heart in terms of what that says about human knowledge. The first person I see really developed this fully was Arthur Balfour in 1914 in the Gifford Lectures, uh, and then later a book that came out of that called Theism and Humanism. And then C.S. Lewis carried that argument forward, I forget which chapter, but it's in his book Miracles. 
And he goes about it a little bit different way. His is a little bit more complicated. And then I think Alvin planned to get his done a good job advancing that. Uh, advancing the this objection to naturalism? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So this objection is not a new thing. It's been around for at least 100 years. Yes, it goes back at least 100 years to Balfour, maybe to Darwin. He had an inkling of the problem. But Alvin Plantinga is the modern theologian who has developed. I think he calls it the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Okay. So evolution itself argues against naturalism on naturalism's premises. So I'm sure if people Google that, they'll find a, a number of articles or blog posts based on the E-A-N. Right. All right. Again, our goal here is not to tell people what to believe or to criticize. What we're trying to do is say there are some very basic families of worldviews that we're going to interact with in, in this world. In our culture, especially, those are theism and naturalism, or sometimes called materialism. And out of those two, we're trying to argue that theism is at least as intellectually coherent and valuable and satisfying as naturalism, in my opinion, more so. And because of that, it allows a person to make a genuine faith commitment if they choose to without sacrificing their intellect. That's our goal. We'll see if people feel like we've advanced towards that goal or not. Well, thanks so much for your time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, click follow or subscribe depending on your platform. Check the notification bell so you're up to date with new episodes and leave us a review. Until next time.